now I need your full attention. Like, like really, let's not be distracted right now. I had an interesting weekend, and I want to tell you a little bit about it. The Lord did some things. I, uh, I'm going to pray here in a moment. I, I went to Kansas City for 24 hours just to meet with Mike and talk about the prayer movement. And I had a bunch of questions that I wanted to ask him, and the, the Lord didn't answer any of the questions. Mike didn't have any answers to the questions I gave him. But the Lord did answer a different question prophetically, powerfully, and I want to share that with you guys. It's important. So I'm asking for your full attention, like really focus, and I want to speak to you. So let's pray. Lord, we love you, and Father, I, I know about the calling that you've placed on us. I know a little bit, the calling you've placed on this house and this movement, and I know what you've called me to do. And Lord, I pray for our staff right now that they would sense and hear the heartbeat of heaven. And Father, where the vision of your son's return has in any way become blurry, I'm asking that you lift the blinders right now, that you would bring clarity and you'd speak to us by the Spirit. Use my weak words to call us into the destiny that you have for our little house of prayer, our spiritual family, and the thing you're doing in the earth. I'm asking for grace to be poured on us right now. So come, Holy Spirit, enlighten the eyes of our understanding. Open the word of God to us. Rest on our hearts. Grip our hearts again. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Turn with me to Mark chapter 13. I'm feeling very focused in the way the Lord has been leading us this year. I, I know in some ways it can feel like We've been on this wild ride that doesn't have any kind of strategic direction. But I'm, I'm watching how the Lord has continually lined things up, and I'm going, no one leads like you, and what you're doing is so intentional. God has been so intentional with us. And I think he's bringing us to a place right now that's very specific and very important. I was driving home from the services on Sunday, and Kobe, my son, he just said to me, he goes, he goes, Dad, I feel like revival is right around the corner. Like my 16-year-old. I go, what makes you say that? Why are you saying that? He goes, I just feel it. And, uh, you know, I think when the Lord puts his word in the mouth, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. 
I don't think it always looks like, yay, and thus saith the Lord. You know, they're going to prophesy like a pro. I don't, I don't think that's how it works. I think they go, I just I feel something. God's doing something. And, um, and I believe that. But I feel strongly that I want to call us to attention. I, I mean, really call us to attention. And I, the Lord did something dramatic with me this weekend that I'm going to lay out for you. I want to make it real clear. But I want to read this passage to sort of set the table. <clears throat> Mark 13, verse 28. It says, now learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves. You know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. Here's the principle. There's all sorts of teachers. They'll say the fig tree is Israel. Maybe, maybe not. Because when Luke records the same exact conversation, he says, look to the fig tree and all the trees. But the principle is this. Just as you can look at a tree and tell what season it is, you can look at the signs of the time and tell what season it is spiritually. That's the principle that Jesus is giving. And he says, so when you see the, the details that I've just laid out for you happening in the earth, then you know my return is near. That's the principle of Mark 13, 28 and 29. And then he says in verse 30 and 31, assuredly I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Which generation? The generation that sees the signs coming to fulfillment. All right? So he's, he says, the, you'll know the prophetic hour just like you would know the natural season. When the tree has leaves, you know summer is near. When these signs are in the earth, you know the return is near. And the generation that sees those signs will not pass away until all those things take place, which is ultimately the all those things is the great tribulation and the return of the Lord. Okay, you following? He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And I just want to call your spirit to attention to catch this. I am very, very aware right now of my own soul that I'm hungry for God and I'm battling upstream against this sort of anesthesia that is on the church and on the world. And I mentioned it about how when the shootings happened, how I, I had to consider my own heart and think, what, what is going on with me that it has to be a large number of deaths for it to actually even register? And I realized that there is something happening to me because of the culture that's causing callous, uh, callousness to come upon my heart, and it's, it's actually lulling me to sleep. And I remember it's just been a handful of years when the rainbow lights were um, shown on our White House. And I remember feeling like, man, this is it. When... When the government mainstreams homosexuality, that is the end. And historically, that becomes the end of every civilization. You know, from Sodom and Gomorrah to Rome. I mean, 
it becomes the downfall of that, that civilization. And I remember that those pictures that hit and the rainbows were on, the, the rainbow lights were on the, uh, the White House. And then everybody started superimposing it on their Facebook picture. And then it was Christians with the rainbow on their Facebook. And I thought, what is going on right now? It's just a handful of years ago, just like four or five years ago. And the acceleration from that moment to this moment, it's, I mean, it is unprecedented in human history because now we have technology that can anatomically change someone, you know, physiologically, and it doesn't change their DNA, but physiologically change them from a man to a female, a male to a, a, a female. Or a female to a male. It, it, I mean, we, we have technology in place that no other generation ever had. You never had the ability to change a phys, a, a, the physical uh, you know, dynamics of an individual so that they could become, the shell of them could become similar to the other gender. But we're in that right now. And we're not just in it that it can, be, that it can happen. We are... We are in a culture that has normalized this. It's being taught in our schools. It's being demanded in our public square. They're having drag queen hours in the libraries where the children have to come and listen to a man dressed up like a woman as she's reading, he, she is reading child stories. And in many of the stories, they normalize homosexuality and transgenderism. This is our culture right now. And the, the challenge with it is, we've gotten used to it, so it's not, it's not shocking anymore. And this is what deception feels like, beloved. This is what deception feels like. When all of a sudden, that which was unthinkable a decade or two ago has now become normalized, and the church kind of just shrugs at it. And here's the deal. The church, in many, many quarters, is absolutely scared to speak out against homosexuality and scared to speak out against transgenderism. And so the church has become complicit with these sins by actually not raising her voice in an alarm. Am I making sense? Well, that level of debauchery filling the earth, it's a sign of the times. It's a sign of the hour that we live in. What we're getting to see right before our eyes is the maturation of the harlot Babylon. We're getting to see what it looks like when Babylon comes to maturity. And I have a real concern in my soul because the church is almost silent on sounding an alarm right now. The church is trying to win a popularity contest, and meanwhile, Babylon is rolling through our streets. The church is trying to get more likes on social media and the harlot system is growing to a place we've never seen before. And we're more interested in our momentary, you know, sense of pleasure than we are in the urgency of this hour, beloved. 
And God has seen to it to raise up little camps of intercessors all over the place. But even in the camps of those that would uh, sigh and cry over the abomination of the land, I feel the influence of the spirit of the age dialing us down, trying to call us to be tame, trying to tell us to shut our mouths so that we lose our witness in the midst of a culture that is boiling in sin. Am I making any sense? And I, I personally feel extremely concerned over these points. Concerned for our house and concerned for the church. Stephen was just telling me, because uh, we were talking about it, and we were saying, who is saying this? Besides Mike Bickle and IHOP, who is saying this in the earth? And Stephen mentioned, he says, you know, I was just listening to Francis Chan. And he opened up Revelation 6. And he said, the, he read the phrase, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb. And he repeated it. And he said, who's talking about this in the church anywhere? And the thing that's interesting about Francis Chan is, he was the poster child for evangelicalism just 10 years ago. And now he's that fringy dude that's kind of lost it a bit. And he's sharp, but the truth of the matter is from heaven's standpoint, he sharpened his prophetic edge and he's speaking a word from the Lord. Well, beloved, that's what we're supposed to be. Speaking a word from the Lord with our eyes wide open, alert, and readied in this hour while Babylon is rising and calling others to be readied. Look what Jesus says, because he says in light of the, the signs coming to fruition, look at Ma uh, Mark 13, 32. Of that day and of that hour, no one knows, not even the angels nor the Son, but only the Father. Look at that. He leaves the church in a state of ambiguity. He said, you're, you're running headlong into something, and you will not know when it's going to be. Because to me, the most obvious would be, give us the target date, and we will work so diligently under that date. He goes, no. No one knows when this is coming down. You have to be prophetic. You have to pay attention. You have to be connected to the word and to my spirit. You have to hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. You have to come out of slumber and out of the sway of this world system. And you have to hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying so you know the hour that you're living in. That's who will know. And man, I'm like, that's intense. He actually puts it in our own hand to know what the Lord is saying. And he says, now here's what I'll tell you though. He goes, I'm going to leave you ambiguous on when it is, but verse 33, I'll tell you what you have to do so that you'll know the hour. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you don't know what the time is. Take heed, watch, and pray. He said, it is like a man going to a far country who, is, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, 
For you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. Jesus' word to us, Mark 13, 37, what I say to you, I say to all, watch, watch, be alert. That word watch, what he's summarizing is having an alert posture of fasting and prayer. That's what he's talking about. This is what the Lord spoke to Mike Bickle in Cairo, Egypt in 1982. He said, I'm going to change the understanding expression of Christianity in one generation. Because I'm going to emphasize four key things that have been They've been lost in the church throughout the ages. And the first one is intercession. That's where we get the IHOP. It's intercession. And this has been a mind blower to me, but think this through for a minute. We did uh, so many calls, right? Lou Engel has led the nation in doing call events where we cry out, ask God for revival, and we repent for sins. Last year, we go to Stone Mountain. We repent for the historic sins of racism and dead religion in our city. Do you know what the hardest battle that we fought going up to the day of remembrance has been? The church telling us we do not have to repent on behalf of the sins of our nation. That somehow the concept of standing in the gap as an intercessor, crying out for mercy and owning the sins of the past in, in, in repentance is somehow extra biblical and this unknown thing. It's the number one battle we've had to fight. And I'm, my mind is blown because I'm going, Joel 2, Daniel 9, Nehemiah 1. I mean, it's all through the scripture where God calls the people of God to take responsibility for the sins of the nation, to cry out to God for mercy. We just put the history of America out there and people start saying, it's not my responsibility. Christians. And I think, how far are we from the biblical call to watch and pray in an hour when the culture has gone as far into sin as we've ever seen it in the history of the world? And I look at little places like us, and I look at our little calling, and I say, God, we're a mercy stroke that you're releasing, but, but I'm just speak for me. But my heart, I'm having a hard time staying awake. I'm having a hard time keeping my prayer room sacred. I'm having a hard time doing the fasting days. I'm having a hard time not getting sucked into the molasses of the popularity contest in Facebook and Instagram and all this mess that's not real that's out there. I'm having a hard time engaging with the, the storyline of this hour, which is the darkness is growing darker and the Lord wants to release his glory on his church. But it's what he says in Luke chapter 18. But when the Son of Man comes, will he actually find faith in the earth? And the reason why that question hangs out there in Luke 18 is because the spirit of the age gets so strong the closer to the, to the return of the Lord, Daniel said it this way, Daniel 11, he said, sin will come to its full measure. 
And when sin comes to its full measure in the nations, the, the, the uh, streets are polluted. The ground is polluted. The airways are polluted. And deception is at its highest level, level ever. And I'm sitting here looking at my own heart. And I, I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how it grabbed you with those mass shootings. But man, I, I honestly, I was... I was uh, <clears throat> I was surprised by my own lack of sensitivity. How could it be that I'm not instantly crying out? How could it be that I'm not having like maybe it's a thing, maybe it's not? How many actually died? I mean, really? Like, really? I mean, I'm just a bad at it, and I'm going, what is going on with my own soul? And I realize it's that flow, the spirit of the age. The sway of the wicked one calling me to sleep, calling me to slumber. And Jesus says the exact opposite. And the hour that we need it the most, he says, be alert, watch, and pray. So, so I go to Kansas City because I want to sit with Mike because there's a real interesting thing happening in the prayer movement around the earth. So many of the leaders that are in Kansas City have now been sent in different places. There's an entirely new group of leaders that's rising. Many young people that are rising there that are, uh, you know, in KC. I was in a meeting with like 30 people, and I've, you know, I know all the people in Kansas City, but I'm in a room of 30 leaders, and I don't know half of them. And they're like, like shaking their hand, like, oh, it's good to meet you. I'm like, who are, who are you? <laughs> like, they're the new guy. And I've been in this for 15 years, and in the room it's five and seven years, and, you know, just new people coming up. And I'm like, this is really interesting. 28-year-olds 20, and 32-year-olds. So I go there with these questions. What's the direction of the prayer movement? How do we intentionally fulfill Isaiah 62? What's to be the way that we live in this hour? I've got all these questions I'm going to pepper Mike with. I'm just going to have dialogue. And, uh, and the Lord... And, and what's interesting is the Lord basically doesn't allow Mike to give me any answers. I would just say it that way. Mike gives me the same answer he would have given me 10 years ago. I could have answered it for myself. And I'm, I mean, there's a moment where I'm sitting there with him and I'm like, oh my gosh, he just gave me the answer. I know. And I flew out here and I start doing the math in my head. I just wasted it. I was like, doing how much money did I just waste on this trip? <laughs> like I could have gotten the same answer on an email. And we end up in this two-hour conversation. That's not to say it wasn't important stuff that he was saying. It was important, but it was stuff that I've heard him say before. It, it, it hadn't changed. <clears throat> Where we're going, what we're doing. And, um, and so what happens is this. Mike's son shares a prophetic encounter he's had with the Lord ten years ago. And I'll just encapsulate it. It's a, it was a dynamic encounter. It was a wide awake encounter where the Lord, while he's wide awake, takes him up out of his body. And he's, he's actually, he was in an island, a, a Pacific island, and the Lord takes him out of his body and, and puts him in Kansas City. And he's looking, he's looking at Kansas City, looking over the, the city. And just to, just to encapsulate it, it's a massive, massive encounter. Many, many things. 
But the Lord shows him this train, and the train is coming, and he's, he's physically seeing this train. He sees this multi-track train station that's, that's built in Kansas City, which <clears throat> he has the encounter, and three years later, they actually start building this multi-track train station in Kansas City. It actually literally happened. But he's in Kansas City, sees this multi-track train station. He's standing on the train tracks. The train is coming right at him, and it goes right through him. And now he's inside the train, and he's looking, and there's people, and there's passengers, and they're eating. And it's, he's like, I'm in the middle of the train. He goes from there up, and he's, now he's out, and he can see where the train's going, and he's above it. And the train is speeding forward, and the train tracks um, are not finished. And the train is going to run off these train tracks, and the people are running they're all gathering in their eye hoppers. They're gathering to put train tracks together to try to keep the train from crashing. And when he's sharing this, um, and, and Luke is a business guy. He's not a preacher, so he's sharing it very, like, just regular guy-ish. He doesn't have the same, like, command like Mike does. He's just, and then what happened? And he's just, you know, just, he's just expressing it. But while he's sharing it, the fear of the Lord falls on us. And I look at Mike, well, no, no, and then Luke says, he goes, all I could take away was that we would have to be at the height of maturity operating in all of our gifts to see to it that the train doesn't crash, doesn't crash. And I said, you know, maybe that's not even it. I go, maybe it's that the train will crash unless it's the grace of God that sees us through. And I look at Mike and I said, you know what that reminds me of? And Mike starts nodding. And I say, 11-11, he goes, right, when we were in Detroit. And I go, yeah, me, you, and Dave when we were in Detroit. And I said, that's right. And I want to tell you about this prophetic encounter. I've, some of you have heard me share this, but I want to share it with you again. Because the Lord has, he dynamically, he dynamically put an exclamation point on it for me. And I'll tell you how. So, pause the Kansas City conversation. I'll tell you the 11-11 encounter. <clears throat> I'm going to the call Detroit. I'm, I'm going to fly. Dave and I are flying together, Sliker. We fly together for an hour and a half on the plane. We're just being dudes. We're saying stupid stuff. We're joking with each other. I don't know. But there's something that's been on my heart. And what was on my heart was the concern that I have for People that had been running hard with me after the Lord, this, this would be 2011. I'm thinking of ones that ran hard with me when I was a youth pastor in the early days of IHOP. And they were fiery for God. And I'm thinking about ones that were going after the Lord then. And 10 years later, they're nowhere to be found. They're completely away from the Lord. And I'm, I was just, I'd been burdened over that for a few days going into this trip to Detroit. And so I mentioned that with him on the plane. And he goes, man, I was, I've been thinking about the same thing. And we both begin to talk about it, about how faithfulness over the long haul and being fiery for God over decades is actually Christianity. That's what Christianity is. It's not the wahoo time at the conference or that one time you got encountered and then you live sloppy all the rest of the time. It's not a perfect 
decades, but it's, but it's in weakness, applying your heart to the Lord, asking him to fill you with fire the entire time, hanging on to God and, and, and doing your best not to waver, though sometimes you're weak. But, but it's, it's the never giving up, you know, it's that. Faithfulness for the long haul. So we talk about that for 15 minutes on the flight. It impacts us. I, I feel this tremble on me. And then we go back to being dudes. And, and so we've got no agenda. And, uh, but we've got we've to hang out for a while. Uh, I've got to preach that night. I'm going to preach. And then the next day, we've got to pick up Mike from the airport. So we go pick him up from the airport. And he's, he's in, like, he doesn't have anything to do mode. And so we're just going to go hang out with Mike. It's going to be a blast. So we go to some pizza joint. And we sit down and we start making small talk. And I'm starting to mess with him about how bad the Kansas City Chiefs were that year. And then I said, how's your team doing? And they're doing terrible. He goes, I don't have a team. And, you know, we're just going back and forth. And, and then Dave brings up, he goes, but the real problem is the Kansas City Royals. They're the worst team. And so one of us says to Mike, tell us the story about the Bob Jones prophecy where he says it's an 11th hour victory and it's going to look like Kansas City was counted out, but the game is going to be won by grace. And, uh, and, and I say, yeah, has that, all, has, that seems like that hasn't happened yet. That seems like that's still going to happen. And, and then Mike gives us this long explanation of this prophetic word. And here's the, the, the simple thought about this prophetic word. Bob Jones prophesies that the whole world's eyes are going to be put on Kansas City because the Lord is going to give the royals an 11th hour victory. And it's going to look like they were counted out. But they're going to come back and they're going to win. And the Lord's going to use this baseball game to bring everybody's eyes onto Kansas City. And what happens is the Royals, they are not even in playoff contention at halfway through the season. And then they just start playing amazingly. And they go into the playoffs and it looks like they're going to lose, but then they win. And then there's a second round of playoffs. And it looks like they're about to lose, but they end up winning that. And then they go into the World Series, and they go down, and they're, they're down three games to none. They're going to lose. And they come back, and they tie it three games to three, and they win the seventh game 11 to nothing, an 11th hour victory. That's what really happened. And the point of that whole thing, the Lord was saying that it's going to look like this prayer movement will not make it. But in the 11th hour, God is going to release grace, and grace will win the game. So he does this dramatic thing through the royals. <laughs> so Bob Jones prophesies it. Six months later, it actually happens, exactly as he says. So we're asking Mike to break it down for us. And Mike tells us this long story about how in 1993 to 1996, he had... He had quit preaching IHOP. He had quit preaching the main messages of the prayer movement, the things that God had told him to preach in, in Cairo, Egypt. And, um, and he'd done it because he was trying to fit in to a, a, a ministerial um, structure. And the Lord dramatically tells him, 
you're under the fear of man. You have to come out and preach the IHOP. And so he's at this international conference of this ministry that he's a part of with all these ministers there that have told him, don't preach IHOP anymore. And, uh, and he's got these multiple words that he's under the fear of the Lord. And then what happens is Paul Cain comes to him that afternoon and he says, you're under the fear of the Lord. Fear, I mean, fear of man. You're under the fear of man. And Mike goes, no, I think, I don't really know what that means. I hear you. I've got this same word five times. I, I, I hear you, but I don't know what it means. And Paul Cain tells him, the Lord told me to tell you you're not preaching the message that he told you to preach. You have to preach IHOP. And Mike goes, oh, that. And the ministry of uh, affiliation he was a part of had told him, you can't preach it. And it was fear of man that he was not preaching the message God had commissioned him to preach. So it's the international conference. That's the day of the international conference. Mike gets up, and he's, he's going to preach IHOP in a ministerial association with thousands of people there that the main guys have told him, do not preach it. I love Mike Bickle. He gets up to preach it, and as he's getting ready to preach, all the power goes out in the building. All the lights go out, the sound goes out. Paul Cain comes over to him, he says, he says, this is the enemy trying to deter you. Don't let it happen. Preach what God's put on your heart to preach. And right at that same time, one of the main ministers from the association comes over to him and goes, so Mike, what are you going to preach on tonight? He goes, well, stay tuned, God's kind of changed my message. He goes, well now Mike, you know, you're not supposed to be preaching certain things, right brother? In this little intermission. He goes, well, stay tuned. We'll see what God does. The lights come on. Sound comes on. Mike preaches this thing. He goes, I want to confess my sin. I've been under the fear of man. I haven't preached the mandate God's given me to preach. IHOP, I haven't preached the forerunner message. And I'm repenting publicly. And people start clapping. Yes. He goes, no, stop. They start giving him a standing ovation. He goes, stop, stop. Sit down, all of you. He goes, because I'm telling you, I've been under the fear of man, and you have too. And we all have to repent right now. And that made everybody, you know, mad, glad, and sad. <laughs> Changed to, yay to me. Well, that broke everything. The ministerial association ends and all of it. So, a little longer. What happens is another ministry organization that Mike's got good relationships with the, the leaders, they ask Mike to preach at their conference, and they want him to lead this organization. And he gets up to preach. This is six months later. He gets up to preach, and the Lord tells him, they're trying to put you in charge of this, and I'm telling you not to because they will put the same constraints on you. You have to preach the IHOP. First night of this new ministerial association conference, he stands up. The message is this. You guys wanted me to lead this association, and uh, I'm here to tell you I will not lead it. <laughs> Welcome to the conference. It's going to be awesome association. And IHOP, and he preaches the foreigner message. And his main guys are like, what did you just do? Like, what was that? There's 3,000 ministries that are wanting to join Mike. And he knows that God's not called him to lead an organization. He's called him to preach the forerunner message, calling people to readiness for the return of the Lord at the end of the age. So.
So his main guys are all like, dude, you have to explain to me what you just did. And he's in the middle of a 40-day fast. And he goes through this 40-day fast. He says, can I get to the end of the 40-day fast? Then we'll meet. And they said, sure. So here's what happens. He gets to the last day of the fast. And he prays that his main dude would get a dream from the Lord explaining what he's done. And the Lord gives that man a dream that night. Comes in the next day, that guy is shaking. He's, he's like shaking under the fear of the Lord. He goes, what happened? He goes, I've had the most dramatic prophetic dream I've ever had in my life last night. He goes, well, what was it? He goes, all of us were gathered in a boardroom, and we were talking about you and what you did. And the voice of the Lord thunders audibly over the boardroom and says, all of you think that you're in the stream of what I want to do at the end of the age, but all of you are out. You're out of the stream. He says, and the Lord says audibly, Mike and Paul, Cain, are the only ones that are saying yes to what I've called them to say yes to. And then the Lord points out an individual and says, and that man has already made his decision to turn away from my calling for him. Now, the brother that had the dream is freaking out. So they're getting ready to have the meeting now, and he comes in, he shares the dream, and the fear of the Lord falls. But there's actually a guy in the, in the meeting that just gets mad. And that guy was the one that was pointed out by the Lord. And Mike had already had a, set, a meeting set up with that guy. And the guy confesses, yeah, I've been sowing strife against you. I don't like you. I don't like your message. And Mike goes, well, just repent and we can run together. He goes, no, I'm not going to repent. I'm out. The very guy the Lord spoke about in the dream. So we're in this restaurant in Detroit, and Mike's breaking all this down with way more detail than I just told you. And me and Dave are freaking out. The fear of the Lord is on us. It's three hours. We're shaking. We're physically shaking. My body is trembling like this. And I said, Mike, what is the message? Because the message is grace is the only way that we're going to see all the prophetic promises come to pass. But we have to say yes all the way. All the way through. We have to say yes in full knowledge that we can't do this. That we cannot make this happen. We can't do this in our own strength. But if we'll say yes all the way, grace will meet us and grace will win the game. And I have this long, long document. So that's that's. I'm in Detroit for the call, right? Mike's telling us this 11-11 prophecy. We leave there. Me and Dave are undone. We're shaking, freaking out. We get back to the hotel, and I go, oh, my gosh. What is today? It's 11-11-11. And he's given us the details of the 11-11 prophecy, the, or the 11th hour prophecy. The Lord's hammering us with 11-11-11. We go through the weekend and six or seven more times, the Lord shouts 11-11 to us. Dave is on flight 11-11. He sits on the flight with a minister that we're friends with, and the guy goes, yeah, I don't know. I came here to Detroit. I was hoping the Lord would speak to me about something. He didn't. He goes, well, what was it he wanted, you wanted the Lord to speak to you about? He goes, I, I wanted him to speak to me about the 11th hour prophecy from Kansas City. 
The next weekend, the next weekend, I'm in St. Louis. Now, if you know the prophetic story, Kansas City and St. Louis were, that was who the Royals won that World Series with. I'm in St. Louis the next weekend. I'm going to preach for the first time for Joy's brother, for Jim Stern at their church. I show up, and that guy that leads the house of prayer picks me up from the airport. I'm giving you these details to let you know how important this is to me, because I want to call you into this. He picks me up from the airport. We go to, the, we go to Sweet Tomatoes. We're going to eat the salad bar. I go, so, your team just won the World Series. I'm not thinking about anything prophetic. I'm being whatever. He goes, yeah, and it's been so prophetic. I go, oh, really? And I roll my eyes. He goes, yeah, there's been 11 11s, and the headline of the newspaper this week was 11th heaven. He goes, and none of us know what it means. But there was 11 things that were the number 11 that lined up for St. Louis to win the World Series. I go, I know exactly what it means. Because that whole prophecy that Bob Jones gave was Kansas City and St. Louis. And he, Bob Jones tied Kansas City and St. Louis together. I said, it's going to look like St. Louis is counted out. But at the 11th hour, God's going to release grace. And he's going to see to it that all the prophetic promises come to pass. So I preached that that night, and I go to Destiny Church the next day. It's my first time at Destiny Church. It's their 11th anniversary. Just ridiculous. Two years later, I'm at the same place. I'm at Destiny Church. It's Lou Engel, Dave, and myself. We tell Lou the whole story of the 11th hour prophecy, our whole meeting with Mike. We tell him the whole thing. We're sitting after the meeting. We'd had an Elijah Revolution meeting. It's me, Dave. Lou, the house of prayer leader, some others in the room. We tell the whole story. Hour and a half later. We go, wow, that's, that's so intense. And you just have a moment. Everybody checks their phone. It's 11-11. So the Lord has thundered this to me. Many times now, 11-11 over the years, I know it means grace is what enables us to see it all the way through. I look at our numbers, I look at our finances, I look at everything that shouldn't have happened, and I go, it's only grace. I look at our, you know, 40 staff, 10 full-time, and I go, yeah, it's going to look like Atlanta was counted out. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, the Lord's connected me to that storyline, but only grace wins. But the key that I have to do is continue to say yes and preach this message. Back to Friday night. Luke shares the whole thing. I look at Mike. I go, this is just like, he goes, Detroit. I go, right, the 11-11. I share very shortly. I share the five-minute version to the room because there's a bunch of people in the room that don't know what we're talking about, 11-11 in Detroit. Mike comments. Dave comments. We share the whole thing, and people start gasping because we're waiting. You know, we share it and just kind of, wow. And people just go, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. I hear it ripple through the room. They go, Billy, it's 11 o'clock. And they, they're holding their phone up to me. It's 11 on the nose. They go, what does it all mean? You've got 60 seconds before it turns 11.01. <laughs> and I leave there, and I think, what does it all mean? What does it all mean? What it means is, against impossible odds, against human ability, way beyond anything that we could actually accomplish, 
God is offering grace. He's offering grace for us to actually see this thing through. But it's, it's critically important for us to actually live what the values are that this movement is made of. That we be people that watch and pray. That we actually do our fasting days. That we actually make Tuesday a legit fasting. If you have any kind of a medical condition, this isn't for you. But we make Tuesday a fasting day. We hold it. We actually do the global bridegroom fast. Not out of law, but because we want. Not, it's, it's because we want to get in the way and in weakness put ourselves before the Lord. And if you fast on Tuesday and you're eating at 3 o'clock, that's fine. Start fasting at 3.05 again. Like, just do it. But it's putting ourselves in the way of this lifestyle in our weakness, knowing we're not enough, knowing we don't have the ability to do 24-7 even, that the Lord meets us with grace. And I'm telling you, the, the culture of this world right now, it's mitigating against any of this kind of talk. Radical abandonment, fasting, and prayer, end of the age, yes. Yes, that's what the Bible says. Watch and pray. In light of these things coming to pass, watch and pray. This generation will not pass away. And beloved, I mean, with all the urgency of my heart, I'm telling you, and by the grace of God alone, I am not backing off of this message. I feel more fastened to it than ever. I, I'm clearer on the, the fact that we have to call people to this lifestyle and this message and that what God's given us in night and day prayer, we are to steward in the grace of God. And I don't care if we don't have the ability, God's grace is going to make it up. He's going to carry us. It has to be by grace. If it's not by grace, it's by the flesh anyway. And so my, I don't mean to be this long-winded, but my strong exhortation to us we might be Gideon in, in number. We might be a small company. But there is no reason why we should be here. Most of what we've done should not have worked. 24-7 should not have worked. A thousand times it shouldn't have worked. And it has continued to work. The merge should not have worked. And we're 16 months in and it's blowing my mind. It's worked and it's worked well. We just did an intercession set on Sunday morning for Re Reconciliation Revival. Like, Really? With people engaged, like, God, I'm like, this is nuts. It doesn't fit in any church growth manual. It doesn't fit in any strategic plan. But I'm joyful in this, that I am what I am by the grace of God. And we are what we are by the grace of God. We bring nothing to the table. We have nothing to offer. But the Lord's grace enables us in our humility. And I heard from the Lord in January this year. He said it clear to me. He said there's still young people who want to come and die. They want to give their lives for something that, that matters. There's still young people that aren't being swept up into the popularity contest and the cotton candy Christianity and, and just the gummy bear call to religion. They want to give themselves to something that's real. They want to live fiery. They want to be gripped with a message. And I'm clear as a bell, this is who we're to be, a voice like that crying in the wilderness. That's who we're to be. And so I want to call our staff to this again. 
I want to call all of you individually to this again. I want you to take notice of the grace that's been on you. Yes, it's been hard. Yes, it's challenging. But it shouldn't have even worked. The money shouldn't have showed up. The grace shouldn't have showed up. The song shouldn't have showed up. I've been thinking a lot about it lately. If you're a song, if you're a, a prophetic singer and you're singing the song of the Lord, you're singing prophetic songs right now, that is so rare in the earth. This many singers, this many Christians, and out of the Christians, this many who can sing a prophetic song. And you're doing it effortlessly. What is that? It's the grace of God that God is enabling you in an hour when the worship movement, listen, the worship movement right now is geared to be a popularity contest, come up with the coolest jingle, come up with the catchiest little phrase, so everybody sings it, so you get 100,000 followers on Instagram, and what we need are prophets who will sing the song of the Lord to cause a son of God to pant and gasp like a woman in labor and return to the planet. The nations of the earth have to be singing the song of the Lord, and most of the worship movement is about singing a jingle that people will engage with on Sunday mornings for a few weeks so you get a whole bunch of hits on your website. I'm telling you, there is a massive disruption coming because as Babylon matures, the glory of God matures, and when the glory of God matures, it's not going to make us all popular. It's going to slay us, and the lines are going to get so long, and your frame will fail over the necessity to minister. Listen, six, what do we decide? Six million, yes, yeah, six million people in the metro Atlanta area. If 10% get saved, 10% get saved in a revival, 600,000 salvations, new salvations, it breaks every system of the church tomorrow. If 20% gets born again in Atlanta, every church's systems crush, they're crushed. The stampede breaks it all. Most of what we're propping up right now is going to get torn down amidst crisis and glory. And my job is to call you to this lifestyle and to call others to it. We're not planting gummy bear churches. We're not planting gummy bear mission bases. We're putting him in hardest and darkest for the glory of Jesus. We're planting praying churches with intimacy with God, with a heart for the end of the age, praying for breakthrough and revival, living the Sermon on the Mount. We're not starting a slick marketing program. We're going to go hard after Jesus and his glory. He promises. He says, the glory of the Lord will be seen. All flesh will see it together. And that's what we're doing. So I'm calling you to it again. Let's pray. I love you guys. The fact that I get to run with people like you. It's all I want to do. I want to live a life that's worthy of him. I want to be a son of Issachar in an hour when the earth desperately needs a compass. Father, call my heart to waken again. Call our corporate heart to waken again. I know you've done much for us and you've brought us to this beautiful place. And I'm so grateful for all you've done. 
But I realize, God, that the sound is going out. The bridegroom is coming. And many of the virgins are sleeping. So I'm asking for grace to wake us up. I'm asking God. And if you've made me to be a poured out lover for you, without human accolade, I want that. I see the end of John the Baptist, and I tell you, Father, it's okay with me for the glory of your son. Father, I ask that you'd plumb line us again to the forerunner message. You'd plumb line us again to the IHOP. We would live this lifestyle, whether we're here, whether we're in the nations of the earth, whether we're on staff, part of the spiritual family, it doesn't matter to me. I want you to find a people watching and waiting, that you would truly find faith in the earth, and that praise would be awaiting you from this house. Father, I understand it's not by our own strength. It's not by our own might. And all of our efforts will leave us wanting. It's true. We can't make it happen. We can't remove the calluses from our own heart. But you have instructed us to break up our own fallow ground. And to humble ourselves. So, Father, I'm asking, help us. Help us to live this lifestyle. Help us to be aware of the grace of God. Help us to agree with the grace of God. truly want to be forerunners at the end of the age. You've seen to it that this house should live. We're so thankful. Thank you for this family. Thank you for your love. Now, Father, help us to live this way. Fasting, praying. Pouring ourselves out for you with glad hearts, joyful. <sighs> Bless our staff. All those here, all those in the nations. The prayer room staff, the church staff, the administrative staff. God bless the whole spiritual family. The whole spiritual family. Draw us in to your rhythm. And I ask you, bring the young people that want to come and die. And make us them. Make us them. Son of God, I want to tell you I love you with my whole heart. I love you with my whole heart, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, guys. Love you. God bless you.